church in Ephesus, beginning with verse 2. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone who hears, anyone with ears, anyone with ears, excuse me, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Some of you have seen a couple times already. Uh, I am, uh, if you don't know my name, I'm Chris, and it's my wife, Sharon. And uh, we, we used to hang out around here a few years ago, a couple decades ago. <clears throat> Two of our girls were born here in Santa Cruz. Uh, and uh, yeah, Claire and Natalie were born, uh, not, not uh, they, didn't, they didn't make, is it Dominican? They didn't make Dominican. They, they went to the, um, what I call the five-star hotel, Sutter. <clears throat> so somehow we got in Sutter, and that was, Sharon really enjoyed it. That was great. I mean, outside of the birth part, that was great. So, uh, and then uh, we were here, uh, 2019, we were here 2019, and had a chance to speak a little bit and hang out with some folks. So it's great to be back praying for you guys as you're looking for a, uh, a church leader, a pastor, uh, who will come and uh, just kind of come alongside you and minister with you and serve you, uh, praying for you um, as you pray for that. Um, I, I got a picture I want to show you of how Sharon occupies her time right there. That is Wesley and Magnolia. And um, I was talking to Steve earlier, and we, uh, what was it, something about why didn't the grandkids come first or something like that? I, I don't know, something like that. Anyway, <laughs> oh, man, they are so much fun. They are so, any grand, anyone with grandkids, anybody? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, uh, we are really enjoying our grandkids a lot. A lot, and we're fortunate that the kids live nearby, uh, three of them out of the four, the other one's in Long Beach, uh, so uh, not too far. Uh, anyways, I was, um, as I was preparing this message today, I, I really wanted to stay, and we, 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 the church I'm at in Vacaville, we're, we went through a series in January on the um, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, so I was going to do kind of a kind of a synopsis of that, because it's really on my heart, and really been pouring into that. And uh, as I was preparing, 
just kind of felt drifted over to Revelation. Drifted over from Matthew to Revelation and landed on chapter 2. So I, my prayer is that this is going to mean something to you, that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you, uh, your, your mind, your heart, uh, your will. And it's going to be a word uh, for, for the church, for the church. So I'm trusting uh, that God's going to do that. Uh, just a little brief background of my understanding of Revelation, very brief. Uh, oh, first of all, in Matthew 24, Jesus said, nobody will know the day Jesus is coming back. I, li- I like to lead with that anytime I talk about Revelation, right? Because people seem to read Revelation to try to find out the code, the number, the day, the year, right? And, and Jesus already said, nobody, everyone say nobody, nobody knows the day, or they are, not even the angels, only only the Father, right? So, uh, so that's my, that, that, those are always my introductory remarks when I talk about Revelation. Anyway, the book of Revelation, as I read it, is a, um, a book of encouragement to the churches. And the reason it was a book of encouragement is because when it was written uh, by John the Revelator, the revelation of Jesus, of course, uh, but through John, it was written um, at a time when Jesus had still not come back. If you're familiar with the scriptures, when, when, they, when they talked about Jesus coming back as his second coming, which we often do, they, they thought he was coming back right away. Right away. Like within, you know, months or years, decades at the most. So it had been several decades that he had left to be at the Father, right hand of the Father. And he has not come back. And John's the last apostle. He's been exiled because he's preaching the gospel. And the church is looking around and they're going, it doesn't look like Jesus and his kingdom are winning. It still looks like Rome's in charge. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It it, it doesn't look like there's any advancement in the kingdom of God at all. In fact, if anything, it looks like the church is losing the battle. It looks like the kingdom's losing the battle. Where is our hero Jesus. And by the way, you should have only one hero. Jesus should be your hero. Don't elevate any other man, any other woman. Just let them keep their feet on the ground. We all have feet of clay. Someone say, yay, God, amen, something. But where is Jesus, our hero? Where is he? And so this book's written as a book of encouragement to encourage the church to stay strong. God's still on his throne, the one fixed point of reference in all of creation. God's still on his throne. Don't be discouraged. God's plan is being worked out in his timing. His timing. Not, not my timing. Not Peter's timing. Not Georgina's timing. Not Tom's timing. His timing. His timing. And the reason I mention those people is because I feel comfortable with them. So there you go. <laughs> his timing. So it's a book of encouragement. They're trying to encourage and the other thing I kind of think I understand, won't know until I get to heaven, but I, I think I understand this. I think the readers of the letter who is written to, now it wasn't written to us, but it's written for us, right? It was written to a specific crowd. And the people that received the letter, I believe they understood what John was saying. I mean, we read it and we're like grasshoppers. What are they? Helicopters? You know, we have no idea what's going on, right? 
In fact, once I get past like chapter four or six, I've tried to go through Revelations with groups and I get to like four, six, maybe up to eight, chapter eight, and then we just stop the study. <laughs> I do my own study, but as far as the group, because I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. <clears throat> but I think the readers of his time understood what he was saying. And I think he was kind of talking in code a little bit. Uh, but they understood what he was saying. But it wasn't written to us, but it's written for us, like the scriptures, the rest of the scriptures. So with that in mind, let's kind of walk through uh, these verses that, uh, man, Tom, I almost said Pastor Tom. I'm not saying it's a prophetic word, man, at all. That's not what I'm saying. I don't move that way. I don't move that way, but it was weird. Annette's going, no, no, no. So, uh, anyways, with that in mind, I want to read this as, a, as a, uh, an encouragement to you as a church to help keep you focused on Jesus, understand he has timing, he has a purpose for his churches, for his Churches. So this church, uh, this letter is written specifically of the church at Ephesus. Probably got passed around to all these churches. But this was a specific word to the church in Ephesus, uh, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, that area. But I want to talk about first love. First love. First love. If, if, you're, if you're married in the room, or if you're dating somebody, or you want to date somebody, uh, that first love is so dynamic. It's so dynamic. Uh, two people, a guy and a gal, they, they decide to get married with no idea what that's going to bring. That's how powerful love is. And, and I don't know about you, but when we, we, you know, we got together and we, we met on a mission trip, actually, uh, and uh, got back and... Uh, Fell in love. And we were in love. We were in love. And we were in love, and even though we knew rationally that we were like polar opposites in so many areas. Anybody else? Anyone else humoring God besides Sharon and I in our relationship? But that love just convinced us that we, it'll overcome all the polar opposites, Right? And everyone around us, what were they saying? Oh, you, you guys are so lucky. You're so fortunate. It's going to be so great. They don't tell you anything else. They don't tell you all the other stuff. Right. They don't tell you all the other stuff. Kind of like having a child, right? When, when, you, when you get pregnant for the first time, everyone's like, so happy for you. <laughs> Boy, there's so much they're not telling you. There's so much they're not telling you. So first love is so powerful. And, and in this specific letter to the specific church, Jesus is trying to encourage them to remember what that first love was like. To go back to first love. To go back to when they first met him. They first encountered him. Or probably better theology before when he first encountered them. We don't find God. God finds us. So let me read through this. I got a few comments as I go along. Uh, but a first love is the goal here. And it's, it's, it's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that uh, I receive and I realize God loves me. And because he loves me and he's opened up my heart to faith, I now love him. 
And because I now love him, I can now love me. And because I can now love me, I can now love others. And I believe that's how it works. God first loves me. Then I love him. Now I can love me. And because I love me, now I can love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as what? As yourself. So you're only going to love... I'm only going to love to the degree that I love myself. Right? So, uh, so, some of you need to stop treating your neighbors as you love yourself. You need to do better. Just turn to someone and say, do better. Come on, help me out. Turn to someone and say, do better. Go ahead. <laughs> Be a little interactive there. Do better. You can do it by, by the grace of God. So love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love our neighbor as ourselves. Love is the way. Love is the teleos. Love is the objective God has with you and me as far as what it means to be spiritually mature individually, small groups, our families, our church. So verse 1, write this letter to the angel uh, of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, the, uh, these stars or these angels or messengers and these lampstands we know from Revelation 120 are the churches, these seven specific churches. And this is a word from Jesus. I don't know about you. When I, when I receive a word, I want to be from, from Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and, and thank God he has spoken. Thank God he has spoken through his word. And what's so interesting to me, because theologically, this is a challenge to me a little bit, uh, but in his communication to the church at Ephesus, he's going he's gonna to describe a ledger. You know what a ledger is? Simplest form. Uh, a ledger, in this case, is going to have one side of good behavior and one side of bad behavior. Good Chris, bad Chris. Right? Good behavior... I feel like a parent right now talking to my kids. Good behavior, bad behavior. A ledger is a book where all transactions, either debited or credited, are stored. And Jesus is going to walk through a list with this church of things they're doing well. Give them some kudos. Give them some attaboys. Right? Pat them on the back a little bit. Set them up for the, but you really lack in this area. You really lack in this area. So it goes on in verse 2. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. These are great, great traits. I know you don't tolerate evil people. Awesome. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. Excellent. You have discovered they're liars and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. That endurance, that perseverance, stay in the course that's on the good side of the ledger. All right? Now, he goes on, verse 4. But I had this complaint against you. A- anyone ever been rebuked by God? Maybe through the Word, through the Spirit, through a good friend, through a spouse? Anyone? It's hard to get rebuked by God, to get corrected by God. It's so difficult. It's so humbling. But humility is good. I like to say either um, uh, either live humbly or life will humble you. 
Those are our two options, especially as believers. But they're being, uh, they're being challenged here by God. But I have this complaint against you. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, but God, look at look how good the, look how good the good side is. Doesn't that outweigh the things I've done intentionally? Come on, uh, theologically, uh, if you're a Christ follower, when, when you sin, it's because you want to, not because you have to. Come on, man. There's, the, there's at least one Presbyterian in the room, man. <laughs> but when I sin, it, you know, I don't like just, how did that happen? I don't know how I got here. I love when I counsel guys and they go, I don't know how I got in this place. I'm like, yeah, first of all, stop lying to me. You know exactly how you got here. So when I sin, it's not because I have to. I mean, it's not because I, uh, it's because I want to, not because I, uh, not, I didn't accidentally stumble into it. So he goes on, but you have this complaint, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, he's not saying you don't love me. And he's not saying you don't love others. He's saying, you don't love me as you did at first. Love can grow cold. Flowers stop coming. The kiss goodbye stops coming. The hugs stop coming. Man, I, 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 I can't do marriage counseling because I'm going back, you know, to Lodi after this. But John's here, you know, if I keep describing these marriage things, John will be busy. Steve will be busy. <laughs> but love needs to be intentionally kept hot. It's got to be intentional. So he's not saying you don't love me. And he's not saying you don't love each other. What he's saying is you don't love me, you don't love each other as you did at first. First, love. Does anybody in this room know what I'm talking about? relate to that. can relate to that. So he says, look how far you have fallen. Now, what I love about this is my assessment of myself <laughs> oftentimes is radically different than Jesus' assessment of myself. You see, I can hold myself up against, like, you, and I'm, I'm not doing that bad. But when I start holding my, when this is my mirror, I am found wanted, wanting. Anybody else? Right, right. So, and again, Jesus, he, Jesus is the model. Jesus is how we measure. But look how far you have fallen. Now here's, here's the grace. Here's the instruction. Here's the love of God to us. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. I love this. So love is more than a quiver in the liver. There's action behind love. Right? We, a lot of us grew up with Disneyland love. Right? There's always a happy ending with a great song usually at the end in that tenor or that, you know, soprano voice. Uh, but love is not a quiver in the liver. In fact, biblically, the word love simply means this. When you give your word to somebody, you're going to keep it. So when God gives you a promise or gives you a word, 
here's the beauty of that. He loves you with that word, and he's going to follow through and keep it. So the promise of God, he'll never forsake you. Do you believe that today? He's following through. He's never going to forsake us. He's going to finish the work he started in you. Do you believe that today? He's going to do that. He's giving you that word. He loves you. So he says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, here's the warning. I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. And, and we know, we've seen this, where God's done this in many places. Uh, not, and not only, I know, we're, you know, not only in Europe, right? It happens here. It happens all over the world. It happens all over the world. So that's the bad side of the ledger. I remember when I was at, um, Sharon and I both went to, uh, well, back in the day, it was Southern California College, Vanguard University now, sister school to, to uh, Bethany. Uh, that was here. was here. I'm pointing. When I was a youth pastor here, uh, it, it went great because Bethany students were the youth leaders. <laughs> I was the old youth guy. But we had like this, just all these kids. It was great. It was awesome. Uh, but that's the, uh, it's the bad side of the ledger. But when we were at Charlotte California College, uh, this one chapel, this guy came to speak. I'd never heard of him before. Uh, his name was David Wilkerson. Have you ever heard of David Wilkerson? Man. There was not, there was, you, you could hear a pin drop in the room the entire time he spoke. It was so powerful. It was so dynamic. And I found these words of his uh, based on this scripture. And here's a quote from uh, the late David Wilkerson. He says, Jesus is saying here that unless we repent, he's going to remove all the spiritual authority we have been given. This includes our impact on our city, our community, our neighborhood, uh, those anywhere in our sphere of influence, every bit of influence, we have will be taken from us. I, I so appreciate his perspective here. Because as we share and partner with God, as his followers bearing his image and likeness, uh, we, we, are, we are helping him establish his kingdom here on earth. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's what he says. And wherever God's rule and reign is, that's where his kingdom is. And hopefully it starts in your heart and in mine. And in mind. I love David's perspective. It's so true what he says. So that repentance, or that word penitence, uh, it has kind of a three-part process. And uh, the first part is repentance, and that's agreeing with God. When, when you and I repent, we're agreeing that, God, my way of how I'm living is wrong. I agree with you. I'm going to move from my way of living to your way of living. And usually it's a 180. We're going completely away from God. And we turn back to him. We repent. Does that make sense? We agree with God. And we don't just agree. We do something about it. And oftentimes, it's with a sense of sorrow uh, that, we, that we did something we knew wasn't right. And we're repenting back to God's ways. So there's confession goes with penitence. Confession. We admit that we were wrong. We confess the sin. We say it out loud. Confession used to be, I'm not sure if it still is, but a, a core spiritual habit of the church, confession. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend you coming up here and just confessing to everybody, necessarily. I mean, you can if you want. I'm not going to today. 
Uh, but you need one or two people you can talk to openly and honestly about what you're struggling with. Because if you don't confess your sin, it'll, it'll own you. It'll bind you up. It'll, it'll hold you prisoner. We've got to be able to confess when we have sinned against God. So repentance, confession, and then reparation. What can I do to make things right? And, and Jesus is saying here, you've got to go back to doing the things you did at first. Go back to doing those things you did at first. And maybe just kind of an assessment here, each of you individually in your own head, your own heart. What, what were you like when you first met Jesus? What changed? What was your language like? What were your relationships like? What was your heart filled with when you heard the word or read the word? What were you doing at first when you first came to Jesus? First love, a little quote here. First love, which we're talking about here today, for God and others is the evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the heart of the gospel, that you're filled, that I am filled with God or the Holy Spirit, filled with the love of God. I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, I know some of you, you only hear this during weddings, right? First Corinthians. No wedding taking place here. Uh, but I want to read it just straight through this chapter as a reminder of what love is all about. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my heart to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Everyone say nothing. Not like almost nothing. <laughs> not like not much. <laughs> not like the cupboards are bare, but I can still eat. But it's nothing. If we miss love, we miss it all. We miss it all. It goes on, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about Jesus. You know when Jesus healed people? He never asked them first what their political affiliation was. He just healed them. Because they had value just being made in the image and likeness of God. No matter how they thought. Verse 5, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love always wins. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease eventually. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And, and now these three, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And faith and hope are powerful. But the greatest of these is what? Love is supreme. Love is supreme. I'll throw down some first love characteristics. 
just thinking about my time coming to Christ and then my time, my marriage, relationship with Sharon. Uh, but just the three things here real quick. Number one, a first love, there's a longing to be with that person or to be with God all the time. Everyone say all the time. There's a longing to be with that person all the time. Come on, how many of you, when you, you met your love here on earth, it was like you, you could stay up till 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., so you see the sunrise, because you couldn't get enough of the person. That was a dangerous confession, but I, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm there with you. But you were longing to be with them. Number two, longing to know them better, know God better. I remember when I was a brand new uh, Christian, I could not stop reading the scriptures. Couldn't stop reading. Youth pastor said, uh, read John. So I, I read John. I go, now, now what? Like a couple days later. He goes, well, keep reading. So I kept reading. So, okay, I got through Revelation. Now what? You know, I just couldn't stop reading. I wanted to know God more. And I wanted to listen to him more than talk. I wanted to listen to him more than talk to him. And number three, there's a longing to experience life together, a life partner. Everything I did, I wanted to bring him with me. I want to experience life with him. Those are longings that we have with first love. To be with, to know better, and to experience life together. Verse 6 in our text says, but, but this is in your favor. Back to the good side. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. In, in short, the Nicolaitans, what they did is they brought sexual immorality uh, into the church. They thought you could, have, you could love Jesus and, like, have orgies all at the same time. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Human sexuality, man, matters to God. Human sexuality matters to God. He did not like. These guys were, they were not, they were bad. Bad Nicolaitans, bad Nicolaitans. They were not getting any good at all. And this church stood up against them, which is great. Let's wind this down. Verse 7. Anyone, who, who, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. This is, this is so important. So, so hopefully, individually, collectively, there's a sensitivity uh, to the voice of the Spirit in, in, our, in our hearts and our minds and our spirit. We, we can hear and, and we listen and we hear and we understand. We listen, we hear, and we understand. That implies action, by the way, right? Uh, one thing I so appreciate about Sharon, because of my personality, is um, uh, when I tell her I love her, she doesn't necessarily get warm fuzzies with the words. You know what gives her the warm fuzzies? When I show it. When I do something about it. That holds my feet to the fire right there. Anyone with ears must, uh, ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand, have that revelation of God. That understanding is not just knowledge, but wisdom to know how to apply that knowledge in my life. Understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, here's the hope. Here's the hope. The overcomer. The overcomer. The one that repents. The penitent, the one that listens to what the Spirit's saying, the one that goes back to first love, 
to everyone who's victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Back to Eden. Back to God's original design. God's original design is fellowship with him. Unbroken. Nothing in between. No sin separating us from God. That's what he's talking about. That type of life. Not only here, but ultimately when we're with him one day. In paradise or in heaven. Closing thoughts. Um, hearing and listening are different. We raised four kids, survived. Anybody else in the four or more club? Anybody? Oh, man, gosh. Just <laughs> tip my cap. <laughs> four or more club, man. That'll suck the life out of you. That'll, that'll, that'll suck the finances out of you. That'll suck the vision, the dreams out of you. It'll just tear you up. This isn't being recorded. Is it? This is not live on the internet or anything. Here, I remember our kids, we'd give them instructions. Uh, and every now and then, they'd say these words that were like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. We'd tell them what to do, and they would say, I will. Which meant, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. I will. No! No. Hearing and listening are different. Anyone can hear, but who has ears to listen, to understand, to repent, to go back to first love? Who? Who? Uh, you're, you're probably like most churches I've been at. Uh, by the time you get in your car and you hit, you know, Mission Boulevard, you're like, what did he talk about again? I mean, it was a really good message and all, but what, what, what did he talk about? Were we in Revelations? I don't remember. And stats tell us, by 72 hours, you will have forgotten 95% of what I just said. It's so discouraging. That's discouraging, by the way. Who can hear and listen and understand? Uh, Number two, there's still time for repentance. This This is the grace of God. God always gives us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, a sixth chance. How many times we forgive somebody? Seven times 70. Which means what? Just keep forgiving them. Forgive others. Here you go for someone in the room. Forgive others as much as you want God to forgive you. Keep forgiving. That's the point. Paradise awaits for the penitent. Paradise. With God... Face to face, nothing blocking us. That's where God wants us. He wants to have a glimpse of that here on earth. Let me pray for you. And uh, Josh will come back up and close us in a song. And so grateful to be here. Father God, I'm so grateful for everyone in this room. God, everyone here you want to hear to hear this message. God, thank you for using a flawed vessel as myself. God, thank you for speaking to me even as I spoke. To your people here today, Father. God, I pray this be a word of encouragement that as we get back to first love, the heart of the gospel, the essence of who you are, the essence of who you want us to be, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. As we go back to that, Father, you'll not only revitalize us, Father, but God, I pray that you will once again revitalize this church. And let your will be, let let it be a light in this community. And we trust you for that in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen.